The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live, online. The 702 app, DSTV Channel 856, 92.7 and 106 FM. Coming up on the show today, the Tswani strike is finally over after six months. The Cape Town mayor calls for tolerance following yesterday's Israel rally disruption. Correctional services briefs the media on the diphtheria outbreak at Polsmoor. MEC Lebofang Maile to release a report on GPF loan probes and we'll wrap up the weekend sport. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today. We will bring you the latest on that lead story in Eyewitness News. Uh, that's the Correctional Services Commissioner briefing the media on the diphtheria outbreak at Polsmoor Prison. Uh, so we'll get you the latest on that. Various other briefings happening today as well. Court cases too. We'll bring you all of that over the next hour. If you follow British politics, there's a lot that's been happening in the last hour that I think may have surprised some people. Rishi Sunak has sacked Suella Braverman as Home Secretary. He's carried out a cabinet reshuffle. He's been under political pressure to sack her uh, after she was accused of stoking tensions over protests on Armistice Day. So that has just happened. James Cleverly is the new Home Secretary. But I think the big rabbit out of the hat surprise for a lot of people was the fact that the former UK Prime Minister, David Cameron, has been appointed Secretary of State for Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Affairs. Have a listen to this uh, this clip from the Sky News presenters when they realised that it was David Cameron stepping out of his car outside 10 Downing Street. Have a listen. My car coming up number 10. Uh, Downing Street, I should say. Not quite sure who this uh, might be. Uh, if somebody's sacked, then of course they don't uh, come up Downing Street. That's done in private. That's the security detail just opening the door for... David, David Cameron! Cameron. What? <laughs> I was not expecting okay. that. Okay, so there have been stories in the last few days that David Cameron, who had never really found his feet after leaving the job of Prime Minister, did jobs that were controversial, wrote a memoir, but put on never uh, uh, put on weight, never fully found his feet post. Uh, presumably, what we've just seen would mean a place oh, in the House of that, Lords. Guys. Let's roll that again. And yeah. the Foreign uh, Secretary? Could be. His, David be Cameron, Lord Cameron, Foreign Secretary. It can't be, can it? He wants a role. The one job, the one job that you could do as a former mm. leader of party, as a former Prime Minister, is Foreign Secretary, it's because it, you're not interfering in the domestic brief, but you are seen as a big figure overseas. He's not wanting of money, so it doesn't really matter if he gives up outside. He got himself in a bit of trouble. He got himself in a little bit of troubles um, uh, over over some of the companies they worked for. I don't know why thought that was so funny, but it just was. Uh, So David Cameron is the new foreign minister for the UK. A lot of uh, comments made about the fact that they were, they were, I think Kay Burley was commenting on his weight, the fact that he had picked up weight. I'm sure she would never have said that if it was a female politician. What do you think about that? Send me a WhatsApp voice note, 072 702 072 So that's what's happening uh, in the UK. Well, let's come back to, to local political matters. And in Twane, finally, we have seen a resolution of this six-month-long strike, the Labour strike that's coming to 
an end. We've been speaking about this quite a lot on the Midday Report. So the 20 municipality is saying that it expected all its employees to return to work today. Workers affiliated with the South African Municipal Workers Union, SAMWU, have been in a dispute with the 20 municipality over the council's decision not to increase salaries for the financial year. We have re- repeatedly uh, heard from the 20 mayor, Celia Brink, saying that the municipality was cash-strapped. They could not afford the increases. So let's get the latest, latest now with Selby Bokaba, City of Twane spokesperson. Selby, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Firstly, just clarity. Um, the strike has, is now over. What is the city's position on this? Um, good afternoon, Mindy, and to your listeners. Let me firstly correct the strike duration. It's not six months. It's a little over three months. Okay. So, yes. Um, look, no, we are, we are obviously um, excited about the fact that the, the strike is finally over after more than three months of major services being disrupted. Majority of the workers are back at work. The buses are running at 100%. And uh, unfortunately, you know, there are certain areas where uh, we still have to clear the backlog. We have cleared the backlog in terms of, you know, customers being without water and electricity for extended periods. So that has been dealt with. Um, Water leaks have been dealt with. Uh, But the backlog is experienced in areas such as, you know, traffic lights, street signs, road maintenance, illegal dumping, overgrown grass and weeds. That is going to take some time because, you know, three months of sheer anarchy and absence of employees from work has created a huge or significant backlog there. Selby, for those who may not have followed this uh, over the past few days, how did you find one another at the CCMA? What was the the resolution and what are the terms of that? The the talks are still ongoing, Mindy. Um, Today, they're also continuing. So we started about a week or so ago. And um, we have not made much uh, progress that one can report on there's this resolution or whatever. Uh, the talks, as you correctly, correctly pointed out, are being facilitated by CCMA and um, they're being conducted in a good spirit. And we hope that there will be a resolution to this. Okay, and then in terms of, of backlogs, you can't give us a, a clear timeline. Are you concerned at all that there may still be um, a breakdown? If the talks are still ongoing, are you satisfied that the SAMU members will uh, or, and are showing up to work today and that this is resolved? I don't think colleagues will really go back to, to the strike. I mean, you know, having spent more than three months and having about 126 initial employees that were dismissed. We have reinstated 40, I mean, 81. You still have about 45 uh, that are still dismissed. So I think also the issue of taking that kind of punitive action against the striking workers has had an effect in ending the strike. I don't think they will will really go back to, to the strike action. Salbi, thank you very much. Uh, Salbi Bakaba is the spokesperson for the city of Tuane, giving us an update there, uh, clarifying that it's a three-month-long labour strike. There are many reports saying six months. Uh, the Tuane municipality uh, saying that they expect to clear that backlog of services. There have been big issues around refuse collection specifically. And those talks are still con- continuing at the Commission for Conciliation, Mediation, Arbitration, the CCMA, to, to tie up all the loose ends there. 702. 702.
to Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. To Cape Town, the city of Cape Town, Mayor Jordan Hill Lewis putting out a statement in response to the disruption of a planned prayer rally yesterday in Seapoint. The police were deployed in Seapoint and uh, Jordan Hill Lewis saying the Constitution respects the right of everyone to protest. A pro-Palestinian group was protesting on Saturday and then on Sunday a pro-Israel group was holding a prayer rally in Seapoint and that was disrupted. So let's speak now to the mayor of Cape Town, Jordan Hill Lewis, Mr. Mayor, good afternoon to you. You good have called for tolerance. Uh, tell us what your concerns are following this disruption yesterday. In, in recent weeks, I've been very proud of the city of Cape Town, actually. We've had nearly daily, uh, not quite daily, but, but nearly daily protests in some you know, different areas of the city on this issue. And not one of them has shown any uh, intolerance uh, they have all been very mature. There has been uh, very little, if any, uh, hate speech at any of these protests. I really think that what, when we've seen so many violent protests around the world in America and Britain and so on, Cape Town has really stood out for positive reasons. That is until this uh, protest was violently disrupted yesterday. And I just found that disappointing uh, after, after the great run that we've had and, and how proud I've, I've felt. So I thought it was important to say publicly that I understand that this is a very divisive time. It's a, it, there's a huge amount of, of very heated debate about this around the world. People are allowed to protest. I've been under huge pressure to cancel these protests. I will not do that. I respect absolutely the right of every group to, to make their voice heard. But they must do so peacefully. They must do so with respect for other people's rights to disagree with them and uh, to voice their own opinions uh, in, in disagreement, also peacefully. And are you satisfied with the way that the police handled this yesterday? Because I have heard some criticism from the organisers of uh, the, the, the rally yesterday that they were not satisfied with the fact that, that police did not handle this sufficiently. Well, I must say, I, I actually am. Uh, I've, I've heard both views. Uh, some, some people who attended sent me notes saying that the police were excellent and that they felt safe. Others said that it was a, uh, it was a bit of a kind of disaster. Uh, I think the only thing that, that perhaps could have been improved upon is that when it was clear that there was going to be a counter-protest, that there should have been a bigger space made between the two groups, uh, and we'll take that up. Uh, but other than that, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to criticize the police for handling a very complex, very heated and combative situation uh, and and taking firm action at the end of the day to try to protect the rights of people to protest peacefully. In the end, unfortunately, it had to be cancelled, but uh, but they, they made a good effort. Uh, you say that you won't, um, you won't stop these protests from taking place. W- will there be um, a different kind of review process going forward or are you satisfied with the way the city is doing that uh, currently? I think the learning that we take is if there are going to be counter-protests, that, that there should be a, a larger buffer zone so that both groups can essentially have uh, the right and space to protest as vociferously as they want to, but without getting in each other's way and getting in each other's hair, uh, because that's when tensions rise. And, and you can't, although actually I, I can ask that each person just keeps cool, keeps calm, remembers the the... Uh, opposing parties' rights to to be heard, just as as you have the right to be heard. 
but perhaps in the moment, in the context, that is too much to expect. So it's, it's just uh, better to, to have a kind of buffer zone. And just for clarity, um, there was a permit issued for the uh, the pro-Israel pro, uh, prayer rally, uh, but there, yes. was, there was no permit issued for a pro-Palestinian rally yesterday. That's, that's correct. That's correct, yeah. Okay. Mr. Mayor, thank you very much. Uh, Jordan Hill-Lewis uh, speaking to us there, calling for tolerance uh, effectively, saying that uh, Cape Town has thus far uh, really made him proud, as he says, about the way that they've conduct, conducted themselves. Uh, remember, of course, also it's the job of the police service, law enforcement agencies to protect this right. And there has been a whole conversation around the devolution of uh, policing in the Western Cape. Should it fall under the city of Cape Town uh, because then they 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 would be able to to effectively uh, police issues like this. Let me know what your thoughts are. Send me a WhatsApp voice note, uh, or you can tweet me at Mandy Wiener. Seven o two. The midday report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. So there's been a briefing today by the National Commissioner of Correctional Services, uh, Mahoti Tobahale, and uh, he's been giving an update on the diphtheria outbreak at Polesmore Correctional Facility. Uh, the initial uh, de- de- stats that we had was that a 19-year-old inmate at Polesmore Correctional se- uh, Centre had passed away. Uh, let's have a listen to the National Commissioner of Correctional Services. From the 54 as already stated, a total of eight tested positive and 46 tested negative. We have 15 correctional services officials that were identified as contacts with only three presenting symptoms. They were tested and released to isolate at home. They continue to receive support and monitoring from the Department of Health and our officials as they are um, isolated at home. The provisional results have since came back negative and we are awaiting confirmatory results. As a department, it was important that we act with necessary agency. The health and well-being of our incarcerated inmates, our staff and the surrounding community are of utmost importance to us. That is the National Commissioner of Correctional Services. Let's speak now to the Department of Correctional Services, Singabako Kumalo. Singabako, good afternoon to you. Uh, we played a, a clip there of the National Commissioner, but maybe you can take us through more broadly uh, what the department is doing in terms of this diphtheria outbreak. Very good afternoon, and thank you for having us. Um, the Commissioner did uh, brief the media at 10 uh, this morning. Um, uh, um, once more um, um, asserting that um, the situation is under control. We are not recording any new infections. Um, what we're working on now is to get to the eight, which uh, is positive uh, to uh, normalize and be cleared. And also those that were identified as contacts also to be given a clean bill of health. So that's where we are. But we've also introduced a number of other measures that shall assist us in ensuring that we do contain the disease. It doesn't spread, especially to other centers within POSMO or even to other correctional centers across the country. So the department is doing a lot of work in that regard and working closely with the Department of Health. But what is key is the vaccination campaign, especially for those identified to be uh, of high risk and the hygiene practices that are also being done, the isolation and regular health screenings. And we took a lot from 
the practices that we had during COVID-19 and those have, uh, have assisted uh, us hands for in the situation that we're in right now. So for those who don't know, diphtheria is, um, it's uncommon, but it's vaccine preventable. Uh, it's caused by a toxin producing bacterium. So um, do you know the cause of this outbreak? And can you tell us more about the, the vaccine campaign? Who is now being vaccinated to ensure that, uh, that it does not spread? You're very correct. It, it, uh, diphtheria is a disease that um, is uh, curable and one is able to be vaccinated to build enough um, defense uh, against any form of attack and usually get those shelves at a very young age. Um, hence, what we're doing now, we are vaccinating those uh, that uh, never received uh, this vaccine at a young age, but also those uh, um, defined to be of high risk, those are being given booster chips so that um, they are protected. And uh, this vaccination program um, uh, is it, being rolled out. As I'm talking to you, a total of 342 inmates have been vaccinated and 36 officials. And also we made a call to other may not, uh, who may start to feel uh, unwell to say do not sit at home and wait for the, for, for the situation to get worse, raise your hand, get uh, medical assistance as a matter of agency so that you can protect yourself and those uh, around you. But as a department, um, these measures are, are in place and uh, uh, our officials, inmates um, are responding very well. Hence, um, we are in a, uh, in a better position to say we have contained the, the disease, but we do not want to leave anything to chance. We continue to be vigilant and uh, the support that we get from our stakeholders is also assisting in this regard. Mm. And um, um, it's, uh, it's just like any other disease, as correctional services, we have high concentration in terms of big numbers of inmates. Hence, it is important that whenever we get an outbreak of any disease, we have to uh, work and push ourselves against any form of pressure or threat so that we can save lives. Singabako, thank you very much. Uh, Singabako Komalo, Department of Correctional Services spokesperson, speaking to us there about the diphtheria outbreak at Polsmoor. And now it's back to Mandy Wiener on the Midday Report. This is 702. Let's walk the talk. 1228 on the Midday Report, the Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, who of course chaired the State Capture Commission of Inquiry, has been speaking about state capture and corruption. Uh, He's been giving an interview to Newsroom Africa and he said it's like they knew something I might not have known at the time, uh, lamenting the rampant levels of corruption that took place in the country while the State Capture Commission was underway. Have a listen to what he had to say to Tolium Gambi. The question for me was... (coughs) What is it that make people behave like this when this commission is still going on? Because one would have thought that they would have uh, been frightened, they would have been deterred because they saw, they would have seen that it looked like there would be consequences. But it's like they knew something that I might not have known at that time. Yeah. Namely, that um, the commission can hear evidence, it will make whatever recommendations. But uh, we know that nothing will ha- will be done to us, so we can continue with corruption as if uh, there is no commission. Exactly. So even even today, one reason in in newspapers all kinds of horrifying stories of how taxpayers' money has been used in corruption. You know, 
um, things that we read every day. It's like people know that there will be no consequences. And unfortunately, indeed, when one looks at um, the many um, incidents of corruption that the country has had over the years, and one looks at where there have been consequences, it's, uh, it looks like it's a very small part. Mm. And therefore, people take the view that it's unlikely that um, uh, I will face any consequences so I can take my chances. So, And we would have to, we have to say to ourselves as a country, what would we need to change? Because we can't be doing things the same way we have been doing them. And when we see that it's not working, we've got to say, going into the next 30 years of our democracy after elections next year, what do we need to do differently the day after elections? Yes. Because we can't continue to do the same thing because then it means these levels of corruption are not only not going to go down, they are going to get worse. An ominous warning from the Chief Justice Raymond Zonda. I wish we would just listen to him uh, talking to Newsroom Africa there. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Mandy, I think Chiefs will do this here at Chipper and have four coaches in one season. Hello, hello, Mandy. You know, quite frankly, isn't it we spent uh, one, over one billion rand on that commission? Like, there's no good ROI, like, isn't it? Hang on, didn't President make a commitment at National Assembly to start uh, implementing recommendations after six months? Isn't, wasn't there supposed to be like an ad hoc committee uh, made up of multi-parties supposed to monitor the implementation of the set uh, requirements of the commission? After we spent so much money, well, uh, Mandy, hey, it's, uh, wow, wow. Because I know, I know that people protect comrades and they will not implement the, the, the commission's report. Please in Bedford View. Afternoon, Mandy. It's Heidi here. Yeah? Hope you guys are well. Mandy, two weeks ago, South Africa stood as one man when we brought the World Cup back home. And now they are at each other's throats again. Why don't we stand together again and try and help find a solution to all this conflict that's going on? It's just a thought. Thank you very much for those WhatsApp voice notes. Uh, so it's very possible the Chiefs will do a chapa. I'll speak to Mawande one day about that a bit later on in, in the show. But I'm always happy to uh, to hear your voice notes on on what you think is going to happen to to Chiefs and and uh, a new coach. Um, on on this issue of the State Capture Commission, look, I believe it was money well spent because I think sunlight is the best disinfectant. And the fact that we had this the State Capture Commission and we were able to get the full anatomy of the State Capture project and witnesses test and all of that being exposed, I think is money well spent. I know you want convictions. I understand that. We also need to have government implementing recommendations. So uh, as an example, the Justice Department has put out a public discussion document on whistleblower legislation. That needs to to now hurry up and and become legislation. Uh, So there needs to be more tangible, more visible implementation of the recommendations. Otherwise, as we hear from, from Judge Zondo, it's going to happen again, and he's warning us. It's a very ominous warning. And then, and then, Heidi, 
So I don't want to be unpopular on this one, but when we all celebrate the Rugby World Cup victory, in a way, it's 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 a it's a bit of a farce, right? Because it is social cohesion and it is bringing the country together. But a couple of weeks passes and and it's fleeting. It's uh, it really is fleeting. And it would be amazing if we could have that unity long term. But as I've argued before, we need to have more than sport. Sport alone cannot bring us together. 7.02, the Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Let's get an update now on the Senzo Miyua trial, the investigating officer expected back on the stand. We also uh, are expecting uh, coordinates of a vehicle, vehicle tracking data to take centre stage. Khomoto Modise, EWN reporter, following that for us. Khomoto, what's happened in court today? Good afternoon, Mandy. So we've heard arguments from the state and the defense today on using this vehicle tracking evidence and cross-examining the witness that's currently on the stand. That is Sergeant Musmuzi Mukhani. He's one of the investigating uh, officers in this matter. And what's been at the center of arguments this morning, Mandy, is that the state believes that this uh, vehicle tracking data should be used in court, but it should also be used to uh, cross-examine or question Sergeant Mukhani on it because he's the one that was driving the vehicle on the day. And so we've heard arguments from the state saying if there is evidence that can clarify anything around an alleged deviation from a route where the stops were made at certain points where Mukhani and claims to have been assaulted and suffocated by, by police, then there's no reason why this data should not be brought and used in court. But the defense has been arguing that uh, Sergeant Mukhani, who's part of the investigation team, is not a neutral party. And so whether he's questioned uh, on this data, it'll be very clear his biases will come through because he's an investigator uh, in this matter. And we've heard the defense really saying that we need an expert to come here if we're going to use the data at all. But then the defense also going to say, you know, it's going to take time. It's going to lengthen this trial within a trial. And it's really not that necessary to have this data used in court. Judge Ratamukhating is actually delivering judgment now. And he's actually just declared that that data is actually relevant. He says that really the measure that's used here is whether this data will help the court to come to some uh, sort of a finding and clarify for the court what exactly happened to Bungani mm. Dancy in June. And so, or June 2020, I should say. So really what's been happening now is that the judge seems to be leaning towards this data being necessary to come to some sort of a finding on whether Bungani Dancy was assaulted in June 2020. So clarity, judgment being handed down now. So that's the end of the trial within a trial. No. So it's, a end it's only of, on the data. Just on the data. Ah. So then what will happen now is then, uh, once a decision is made, it will then inform whether Sergeant Wusmuzi Mohane is cross-examined and questioned on this data from the car tracking device. Got it. Thank you. Khomotsu Modise, EWN reporter, telling us what's going on there. Well, let's have a listen to what the judge is saying in that judgment. Is allowed to lead that evidence. Okay. <laughs> Judge Ratamo Khwatling has... Okay, so that's the judgment being handed.
handed down uh, and that sound is courtesy of Newsroom Africa. Uh, so judgment there, uh, the judge saying that that uh, evidence can be admitted, it is admissible and this of course is the evidence of the tracking on the vehicle to give us an indication of where the vehicle was going uh, when one of the accused apparently made a confession. So the judge saying this evidence is linked to the assertion put to this witness that the vehicle facilitated the assault on accused too. The cogency of this evidence can assist the court to the truth. Uh, where is the injustice or prejudice to Mr. Ntanzi if the court listens to the AVL evidence? If need be, the manufacturers of that system will be called. There is no prejudice. So that's what we have at the moment. Judgment being handed down in the Senzo Miyua trial in the admissibility of this specific evidence. And this evidence is within the trial within a trial, which is to do with the alleged confession made by one of the accused. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Good day, uh, Mandy. It's Nomine and Pichoria. I think the outbreak of uh, this uh, disease uh, in the uh, correctional service facilities is of concern, but uh, let's hope that the, the officials can nip the issue in the bud. But uh, of concern for me also is the fact that uh, our prisons are, are very full and flooded. And, and I think as long as we still have that uh, issue uh, as a quagmire, we're still going to have a uh, problem of outbreaks of disease because there's just a lot of people in those cells. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for that WhatsApp voice note. We know we have a, a, a huge problem in this country with overcrowding of prisons, and that's why uh, we have issues like uh, like these arising. Uh, but the spokesperson for Correctional Services at pains to stress that they are dealing with it. They've able to isolate the diphtheria outbreak and that they are now busy with, with vaccines, but invariably you're going to have these problems. So thank you for that. Uh, just to give you an, an update on another matter that we are following and that is to do with a man who allegedly stabbed his girlfriend, some reporting wife, uh, who's a student at the Cape Town University of Technology Uh, that horrific attack taking place in full view of other students who captured the incident on cell phones. So there is a footage of uh, this man stabbing his girlfriend. Uh, the, the other students tried to intervene. It took place at a private residence um, and the Cape Town University of Te- Technology, a Cape Peninsula University of Technology spokesperson saying they are aware of the incident involving a CPUT student at a privately owned resident who was allegedly stabbed by a student from a neighboring university. We understand the woman who was stabbed is recovering in hospital and that man is appearing in court right now so hopefully we will get an update from our reporter on that 702 702 Mandy Wiener weekdays 12 to 1 p.m. 12.48 on the Midday Report. Uh, two other things I'd like to tell you about um, that we are covering on the Midday Report today. Uh, the one is that there is a briefing underway uh, at the moment by Lebohang Maile, the MEC. And this is um, to do with the investigation report into the loans issued by the Gauteng Partnership Fund. In July this year, MEC Lebohang Maile, who is the MEC for Human Settlements and Infrastructure Development, ordered this probe into loans that were offered to Nonquelo Investment which is owned by Treba Nonquelo. He is Deputy President Paul Mashatile's son-in-law. And therein lies the problems and the allegations uh, following media reports. Um, so MEC Lebohang Maile 
being accompanied by the GPFCEO Lindiwe Kwele to release that report. There were delays around this report. News 24 has been covering this. There was also a lot of secrecy surrounding the investigation. Many board members barred from talking to the media around this. Uh, so we are expecting some clarity on all of that. The investigation is looking at determining the circumstances around the awarding of at least three loans to Nonquelo's company between 2013 and 2017. And the loans were for the construction of student housing in Highlands in Johannesburg. But a decade after that first loan was granted, construction remains incomplete. Uh, all of this also relates to the house in Waterfall, we understand, um, because Nonquilo's other company, Nonquilo Holdings, had loaned 37 million rand to legacy properties. Um, and that's the house in which uh, Paul Mashatile and his wife are currently residing. So we're expecting detail on all of that to come out. And then Minister Patricia DeLille is also uh, holding a briefing today about the fact that the Department of Tourism has signed an agreement with Google to enhance digital tourism. Uh, So that's happening uh, today as well. All of those stories we are watching for you. 702, the Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. The Passenger Rail Agency of South Africa, PRASA, is uh, launching a hashtag travel off-peak campaign. So for those of you who are frequent travelers on PRASA's railway network, it's an initiative aimed at promoting ridership during off-peak by providing attractive fare discounts to commuters. So let's find out more about this with Andiswa Makanda, the PRASA spokesperson. Andiswa, good afternoon to you. Tell us about hashtag travel off-peak. Good afternoon, Wendy. Uh, Mandy, good afternoon to your um, listeners. Yes, we are today launching the um, hashtag travel off peak um, campaign where we are encouraging um, the public to use rail as an alternative mode of transport um, during the off peak hours and not just for rush hour. So today is that campaign where um, we are uh, launching to encourage the use of trains um, off peak. Uh, tell us about what the breakdown is for pensioners, for scholars, um, if there's a, a bulk uh, purchase as an example, what is the discount? Um, yes, definitely. Um, there are various um, packages that we have um, for uh, the, the, the discount. For example, for pensioners, they can get um, 50% discount during off-peak, whereas the students also get 50%, but that is during peak and off-peak. But for the general public, um, they can get 40% discount um, and for the bulk buying, that is your church groups and your schools, um, they'll get 10% um, discount. And this is all just to say that um, there's an alternative mode of transport um, for commuters, for the public. And you know that, you know, job seekers um, are always looking for a cheaper mode of transport. And um, the last thing you need as a job seeker is the burden of um, of traveling costs, uh, especially when you are looking for a job and you're unemployed. And so there's this alternative cheap mode of transport. And we know job seekers, one of their biggest hurdles is getting to that job interview, getting to um, uh, um, that internet cafe to have that CV written. So that's what we are trying to to Mm. do to say with this service that is available. And we are available also on the weekends. Um, Commuters have been asking that we return the weekend service and that is what we're doing. Um, We, for people who want to go to the beach on the weekends can take the Simon's um, uh, um, train um, in the Western Cape. Um, we've got a beautiful scenic route at this discounted price. And on our public holidays, we're also offering the discounted fares.
I just want, often when we speak about process, about issues of infrastructure or um, around moving of communities uh, on the central line, as an example, do you hope this kind of initiative will encourage uh, residents uh, and commuters to, to, to use PRASA um, and, and not uh, be as, uh, as concerned about those issues, perhaps? Um, no, Andy, uh, Mandy, if I get your question correctly, I think we are working with communities in terms of protecting um, the infrastructure. I mean, the communi- communities are our biggest stakeholders. They are the ones who actually tell us when there is funny business happening uh, or suspicious activities within our rail infrastructure. The communities, our assessment of call. Um, one of the biggest issues that we are having and we want to roll out a co- campaign is the stone throwing and we, we are urging um, communities to protect um, this, this, these new trains. And it's the communities themselves mm. who tell us that we found um, a group of young boys in this area. They were the ones um, throwing stones and we're able to have these leads to follow up. So we do want to have a wider campaign um, with the communities involved and they are the ones um, would really, really tell us um, about yep. any suspicious activity on uh, on the rail. So, so this on, on that point, uh, just a, a couple of messages. So Phoenix uh, on the WhatsApp line says, all I remember about being on a train is trauma. Can they guarantee our safety? Uh, and Natalie saying, what will they do to ensure community safety as trains are less safe out of peak time? So an assurance from you that, that safety is a priority. Um, to Phoenix, uh, Mandy, safety is a priority. I think um, if people can go to um, and use our rail service, you'll see that we've introduced um, the new high-tech trains that are manufactured in Nigel here in Gauteng. These are the blue trains, um, the grey and blue trains. They come with automated doors, meaning that the train doesn't move if there's an obstruction um, at the door. The train comes with CCTV cameras. We've got onboard security on the trains, patrolling uh, uh, um, the trains itself. We also have um, security on the platforms and the stations. And, uh, and I think safety and security was the biggest concern. Why people didn't want to use um, Metro Rail. But we've since um, changed the picture. We've got security. And if you look at the feedback right. that I've been seeing on Facebook, people who are using the train, the cleanliness and the security is their biggest take out. Um, that they are very impressed with the changes that are happening um, within Prasa. Mm, and just, so I saw um, a, a photograph of Park Station and lots of people complimenting how clean it's looking yes. at the moment. Yes. So, and this one, Makanda, Prasa spokesperson, thank you very much for that, uh, telling us there about uh, this campaign. It's called Hashtag Travel Off Peak, uh, getting people onto the trains and offering discounts there. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Okay, let's take a look at uh, what happened uh, in the sport this weekend. Mawande Mateza joining us uh, to talk about that. We got a WhatsApp voice note saying, are Chiefs going to do a chipper and have four coaches this season? What do you think? <laughs> uh, good afternoon, Randy. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I have a sense that there will be another coach uh, at Kaiser Chiefs sooner or later. Uh, I don't have a sense that Ka- Kevin Johnson, who is the current interim head coach, will be the person to take charge for the rest of the season. Um, and it was interesting because we had a press conference last week and I heard him speaking and it seemed almost as if he was in awe of the job that he was occupying, and which was probably the same thing that um, Mulef Insegi uh, uh, that got the better of him, as well as Arthur Zwane as well. So I think Chiefs at the moment need a larger-than-life uh, 
character uh, to come in and take over the job. And I know somebody who has just lost his job over in the United Arab Emirates and he used to coach Sundowns and achieve some success. Never, 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 no ways. Do you think that'll happen? Nah, I think it's a far stretch. Um, I think for that to happen, uh, a lot of the people at Chiefs who currently in control would have to cede that control over to uh, Pizzo Mosimane and I just don't see it happening at the moment. They'd have to give him a lot uh, to make it happen and I just, yeah, I don't think that's... Lots and lots of money. A lot of money and a lot of of control and a lot of, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen all at once. Your reflections on the Sweater Derby, generally? I'm actually pretty happy with the game that we saw. Um, It's one of those where it always seemed like something was going to happen. And I think I put that down to an early goal happening in the, what was it, 20th minutes, Evidence Mahopa scoring for Orlando Pirates. Uh, I know it's not the most high scoring affair that we always talk about and we always hope in the lead up to the game. However, I'm just really, really glad it's not one of those cagey affairs where the, uh, either side is afraid to break the the, the, the deadlock. Uh, and the fact that we got a result at the end uh, really pleases me. Uh, overseas, there was some fantastic football last night, the uh, Chelsea City game particularly, but just the whole weekend was was uh, worth watching. Yeah, absolutely incredible with the Chelsea and Man City game. Uh, you just almost didn't know who was going to win right up until the end. And I think a 4 all draw was a fair reflection of the game. Manchester United won, I have to mention that. Uh, and a lot of people are talking about them being in crisis and a lot of their fans don't even enjoy watching the club anymore. And despite winning against Luton Town and having said that, they did struggle somewhat. Uh, but they are currently on a run of four wins out of their last five games in the Premier League. So it's not all going too badly for Eric Ten Hag, but the way that they play hasn't been inspiring. And mm-hmm. it is, uh, remains to be seen what else happens in the end of the season. And I think probably he's one person as well who might be in danger of losing their job. Not happy to say. Cricket World Cup semi-final week. Yes, I'm going to make a big one here. You and predictions. <laughs> I've no. made it very clear how I feel about this. No, well, I still have a feeling that India have gone through uh, the tournament unbeaten thus far. Uh, they beat the Netherlands by 160 runs, and I just have a sense that there's one more upset still waiting to happen. Uh, and I think the Black Caps can still do it. Uh, remains to be seen whether that, that happens. Uh, but I would put my money on that, and I'm not advising anybody else to put their money on, on New Zealand either, but I will be. And we play Australia on Thursday. Australia versus South Africa is on Thursday. And interestingly, enough there's been rain predicted for Thursday and on Friday which is the reserve day that gives me such anxiety Duckworth Lewis everything well if there is no result in either of those days South Africa do go through by virtue of having a higher net run rate so uh, yeah rain might be on our side for a change this time around Mawande thank you so much